Welcome, everyone, to Doing Business with a Servant's Heart. And I talk about this all the time. I bring servants on here, people that serve. But bar none, this is one of the best servants in the world, a faith-driven man like me. I want to call him a brother from another mother because we have so many great conversations. Hey, Nick, I want to welcome to the show. Oh, Steve, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So we talked earlier. Let's start with your story about your uncle because I think it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, so my my uncle's an amazing guy. He's an average Joe. I mean, you always hear these stories about you know, incredible success stories and stuff. And it seems like they're far off in the distance. Well, I've been fortunate to kind of watch this happen over the course of growing up. My uncle started with nothing. They didn't have much growing up, all that kind of stuff. And at 25, he uh, left the professional world and started his first company. And he built a total of five companies from scratch over a 15-year period. And he retired at 40. But the kicker of the story is a lot of times when you tell the story, people think that he sold some companies and made a whole bunch of money off the sale. He didn't do that at all. He actually closed all those companies down because of the fact he wanted his name to be remembered well. And so he said, look, I've made enough. I got my time back. I want to spend the rest of my time in, enjoying what I worked hard for. And so he closed those companies down and he's been a philanthropist with my aunt ever since. And they really create a beautiful life together. What's one piece of advice you can give the audience why he was so successful? Uh, just because he, he did things the right way. He was not interested in taking advantage of people to try to get ahead quickly. He had a, a long-term vision for what he wanted to accomplish. And he just plugged away at it every day. And he just added value to people's lives. And, and you do the right things and good things come. That's so well said. Have you taken this story and what you learned from your uncle into your business? Yeah, I really have. I mean, on so many different levels. And I know that, you know, we have so much time together today. So um, one of the big things that, you know, my uncle shared with me was about sales and and he was, he's always been patient and he has, you know, limited time for himself. So he, he doesn't really jump into the mentor role. So I just try to pick up the Easter eggs along the way from him. But, you know, he basically told me because of the fact that I work with uh, helping businesses turn around and scale and businesses that are stuck to grow or scale and um, I said to him, I said, hey, you know, my business is, is doing okay. We've done some pretty amazing things, but it doesn't seem to be growing at the level I'd like it to. He says, well, you need sales training. And I, <laughs> so I was I was terrified when he said this. I was like, oh, gosh, you know, sales. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what does it take to, to sell and stuff? And he said, you know, right before I went out on my own, I worked at IBM and I received some world-class sales training. And he said, that was one of the bigger differentiators for me as mm. I was working into my businesses and creating successes was I had really good sales training. And so that's how I would say one of the biggest takeaways from our time together has been is, is to go out and get some productive relationship-based sales training. People cringe every time they hear sales. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And that's why we have challenges in this world. What's one thing that you learned in your training that really helped you get past that? Um, I think that the the fact is, is that everyone's in sales where they realize it or not. If you don't realize it, it's to your own peril. It took me 15 years to learn that painful lesson of, you know, you really need some sales training. Um, and the result was, is that um, I just happened to be blessed with a gentleman come into my life shortly after that conversation with my uncle. And he said, look, why don't we create a partnership? I've got 30 years of sales excellence. I've been rewarded many things and stuff. I'd like to create a class to help people become better that struggle with sales. And he goes, all that really matters when you want to create a sale is, is to build a strong relationship and be focused on adding value to other people's lives. And once it was framed like that, it was a game changer for me because it wasn't about 
selling as much as it was opening a relationship that leads to value. That's so well said, and that just makes it much simpler. It's much more appealing for both sides. Yeah. Instead, hey, Nick, you need to buy this, man. If you don't buy this, your company's going to, you know, that type of aggressive attitude. Let me ask you, I say this all the time. It's in the description of my podcast, serving uh, serving before selling. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, that's so good, Steve. So, um, you know, I think that if people serve enough, you don't really have to spend a whole lot of time on selling. So um, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this in his book about adding massive amounts of value to people's lives. And you you just keep adding value and eventually they're going to become thirsty for more of what you do. And they're going to be willing to say, hey, I need to know more. I need to go deeper with you. Let's, you know, I, I'm basically going to give you thank you notes in the form of dollar bills for what you've already given me in value. And I need more of your value. So serve, 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 which is very close to value in the meaning uh, and the result is, is that people, it's it's not so much about selling anymore. It's just an exchange of really good uh, uh, giving and in exchange, people want to give in return with thank you notes, which are dollar bills. I like that. The thank you notes with dollar bills with George Washington or even a bigger president, whoever on the big guys. I don't see many hundred dollar bills. So whoever's on that. Uh, so that's interesting. So you're telling me I can serve and I can make money. Is it going to be immediate? No, no, that's the thing is, is you asked a really good question earlier, Steve, which was, you know, one of the big takeaways uh, of what I've learned from my uncle and, and really he was in it for the long game. It was just, I'm going to add value. I'm going to consistently do it. I'm going to make people's lives better. I'm going to have the heart of a teacher and uh, be a servant, you know, to, to help other people grow. And as a result, I mean, people just would continually build and, and be around him and his uh, influence and reach would grow. I think the same thing's true with kind of just the overall nature of services is that go for the long game. You know, it, it might be nine months, it might be 12 months, it might be three years before all that value that you're putting into people's lives then comes back multiple fold. Leadership tied to serving? Sir? Leadership tied to serving? Do you have to be a servant to be a leader? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that you have to serve to be a leader. And um, there's a there's a distinction there. Bosses drive people, mm -hmm. leaders serve people. They look for ways to um, put themselves in some sort of capacity where they're they're doing something for someone that they want to lead to some better, greater outcome for the good that is bigger than the sum of the parts. That's what leaders do. Bosses just drive people to accomplish a singular result. They can't see the bigger picture of bringing everybody in one direction at the same time. Oh, Nick, that's so well said. I've been borrow that, watch this podcast over, because that's so true. But because you mentor people and you you work with business, you help them grow. What if somebody says, I don't have any money to serve? How do I serve? <laughs> you definitely don't need money to serve. You don't need any special skills to do it. It's really just finding opportunities that add value to other people's lives. I mean, you, perfect example. I was at a church a few weeks ago. We had a big blizzard come through and stuff like that. The plows came, uh, they got a little bit of it, but here we had, you know, snow that was a foot deep and this little tiny path. And we have a lot of older people that come to church. And so, um, you know, you just look around and go, okay, well, there's three shovels sitting right there. Why not pick up a shovel and make the path bigger? So that if someone has a walker that someone can stand next to them and hold on to them for safety and stuff like that. So, there's a million opportunities to serve. It's just looking at the world with how can I serve? How can I add value that really creates uh, a great way to feel good at the end of the day because you've added value to the world.
And that's a great example. You're not shoveling snow and expecting dollar bills to fall from the sky. That's, that's not it. It's just giving value, like you said. And I talked to a guy, one of my guests said he goes in bathrooms, public bathrooms, and he cleans up the sink. Yep. Simple two-minute, three-minute time. I'm starting to do that because I heard that. That's serving, right? You're serving yep. people you don't know. They're going to walk in. They get a clean bathroom. They're going to smile. Yep. Has anybody felt bad when they've served? Oh, gosh. I I don't know if anybody ever has. I mean, I can't can't necessarily speak for everyone else, but yeah. um, you know, service and giving at some level is a selfish act because of the fact that the giver ends up generally feeling even better than the gift that was given that the person receives. So whether it's an act of service, it's an actual physical gift, you know, whatever it is, like um, there's a lot of of uh, backing to that that uh, the the act of serving and giving really comes back to you multiple fold. And I want to delve into the executives chair. I, I know you, Max, Nick, Victor, Nicole, Chuck, sure. shout out to all you guys building some a great business. Why the executives chair? Yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, it, it's interesting. What we found is, is that so many people say, oh, I'm not ready for leadership or they go and they get some yeah. sort of coaching or mentoring or something like that. And they, the coaching or mentoring might take them part of the way, but it doesn't take them all the way to where they were hoping to go. And what happened was, is that it was just, you know, kind of a serendipitous sort of a, a chain of events. And, and Max and Victor have kind of helped create all this and then bring in the other three of us, Nicole and Chuck and myself, but they really saw that there's a lot of uh, executives or aspiring executives to be specific that are struggling and they need more than just one person to help them along their journey. And so there's certainly uh, an opportunity for one executive to help mentor another expiring, aspiring executive. But when you bring together five uh, executives that have served in multiple capacities, everything from president to founder to CEO, COO, CFO, CMO, and that's a lot of seats on the executive board to have that experience. And then you start creating an exponential multiplier of mm. there's five people times all the experience that they have. And then you, you really start to bear out that there's a ton of opportunity for someone who's aspiring into a new role and moving up into an organization mm. to be mentored by multiple people all at once, get five different viewpoints, not to mention both male and female viewpoints, because those are oftentimes different as well. Uh, and that And that also extends out to executive level viewpoints and so I think there's a lot of value there. And Max and Victor were just kind of uh, brainstorming you know, over the course of several meetings and stuff like that. And this was their brainchild. And then they just, you know, picked some really strong people. And I'm just grateful that they allowed me to slip in and be a part of it. That's fantastic. How important is the CEO to be at the top of his game all the time? Oh, man. <laughs> That's just like, you know, uh, I think if you extend it out to like a sports methodology or something like mm -hmm. that. You know, this, the CEO at the top of the game is just like the quarterback at the top of the game. And you can really tell when the field general is not having a good game because everybody notices that. And so they don't make all the best plays and they don't run the ball into the end zone most oftentimes, but they make sure that they know where the strategy is for the field mm -hmm. at a given time on the field. And they make sure that the right people are in the place and the plays are run and all that kind of stuff. Whether it's the coach or the quarterback, it doesn't matter. It's this kind of the same analogy and the CEO is in that same position where they have to be run at the top of their game. And that includes a lot of effort, not only at the personal level, but the professional development mm -hmm. level, and then making sure that they show up every day and they're charged, ready to go with the right resources to be able to move things forward in a productive way. 
And that's, I love the right resources because that's what the executive chair is coming to, yeah. not only masterminds, but to give them the tools to be at the top of their game. We're human, we're not going to be, but I leave this example of a CEO walks in and their wife is divorcing them. Let's just use that sample. You can't walk in with your head down and, and just yelling at everybody because you're having a bad personal life. Right. Yeah, that's sad that that's happening. You have kids involved, but don't you need to walk in and pretend like nothing's, your life is great, your personal life, and just move on while you're in business? Now, when you're outside your business, of course, it's different. Right. But that's important, correct? Uh, it's 100% important, Steve. And you know, the thing is, is that uh, that's some of the, the things that we're going to be bringing to the table. Like one of the things that I'm going to be discussing in the executive's chair is like the martial arts mindset. And that's something that's often overlooked. And if you don't study martial arts, it's hard to create words that will describe it accurately. But for instance, in martial arts, there's a term called mushin, which is no mind, which is if you are in a, a sparring or if you're being attacked or something like that, is to just if, if you can clear your mind. And to your point, you talked about that CEO, like maybe their wife is leaving them or, you know, they're having trouble with the kids or something like that. And they need to be able to create a no mind opportunity where all they do is see what needs to happen at the business level and be completely present with that. And that's kind of uh, just one small example of the, the multitude of talents and resources that the five of us are going to be bringing to the table to make sure that those executives are playing at the highest levels possible. Well, it sounds like to me, it's a safe place for CEOs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great place for them to grow and not feel like they're going to be attacked. Now, to that point, we are going to be challenging people. It's not mm -hmm. going to just daisies all day long and, oh, right. you're meant for this and stuff like this. You know, good coaches will uh, help build people up in the right aspects and also kind of nudge them when they're not reaching their full potential. And we're going to yeah. have equal parts of both in there. Fantastic. I'm excited for you guys. I'm, I'm helping you guys out. It's, I can't wait to see six months in a year from now, because if you're CEOs out there, I want you to reach out to Nick or you're a wife of a CEO or a husband of a CEO. How can they get a hold of you, Nick, and ask you questions about the executive's chair? Yeah, sure. The easiest way to find me, Steve, is just look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Nicholas Saller. Uh, I have a branding that is the Wizard of Biz, and you can uh, look for me. Saller Strategic Advisors is one of my companies, and Saller Injury Prevention is another. And I, as far as I know, I'm the only Nicholas Saller on LinkedIn. That's S is in Sam, A-L-L-E-R. And I'm always excited to meet new people. So if somebody wants to reach out, please do. And look for that handsome picture, because I know he's got a really good picture. So that'll help you find him. Let's talk about a book. You talked about education and professional development, and I love you. We talked about that before. What's a good book you've read that's really helped you in your journey? Oh, man, Never Finished is probably one of my very favorite books. It's a mindset book. It's written by David Goggins. He's a retired Navy SEAL and Army Ranger, and um, he just looks at mindset differently than the multitude of motivational books that are out there on the market. And, um, you know, I got to be honest with you, Steve, when I was young, like I was awkward to a point because of the fact that I, I had a very small version of his mindset, which was just keep pushing, keep trying one more rep, one more step, whatever. And I don't want to put myself in the same category because he is on a planet all his own as far as what he's capable of. Yeah. But it's interesting because of the fact that he has the mental toughness to be able to uh, take it to a new level. And one of his favorite saying, or one of my favorite sayings of his is that, he will go do something in the nastiest temperatures, the nastiest conditions, and he'll run a hundred miles in you know, Death Valley, or he'll go out in the blistering cold in Chicago and run in shorts and a shirt. And, 
And um, somebody will say, why are you out here? And he'll yell back at him because you're not. And what's amazing to me is, is that at a young age, I would get more nervous and kind of go the opposite direction when people go, why are you pushing it so hard? And it was neat to see someone who's, you know, several steps ahead professionally to basically create a, hold up a lantern and say, it's okay to push yourself to the limits. And I think that that book really made it okay to kind of explore the limits rather than a lot of the um, more esoteric concepts behind internal motivation and stuff like that. Sounds like a great book. And, and again, limits are to each of us. Me and you aren't going to run in death valley, probably die. But <laughs> take an extreme. Do you work out twice a week? We'll bump it up to three times a week, right? Is that what you're saying? Or that's what the book's saying that you got from this? Yeah, he's just saying like we tend to operate at about a 40% mental capacity mm -hmm. of what we're capable of. And he says, you know, people talk their themselves out of what they're capable of doing more than they talk themselves or prove to themselves that they are capable. And um, I think that that really resonated with me is because he basically said, remove the governor from your mind. Stop telling yourself, oh, I can't do one more rep. How much is one more rep? You've already done 10, 20, 50, 100. What's one more? And so that's been, you know, really uh, uh, kind of a landslide uh, moment for me as far as like, what's the next step professionally constantly pushing myself physically too is using those uh, tenants that he has in his books and, and then driving those home in every area of life. Yeah. And growth is important in the business and the CEO and the staff and, the, and you can only grow if you push. Yep. Yep. You said the word mindset a few times. Uh, I love to bring this up. We all know. I mean, mindset, you, you increase your mindset, you're going to be better, whether it's personally, professionally, your business grows. What's one trick or one advice you give my audience to help with their mindset? <laughs> well, hopefully Victor won't jump all over me <laughs> after he <laughs> listens to this, this podcast episode. But I really think mindset is a, is a function of who you surround yourself with. And so I'm fortunate to be, you know, surrounded by an amazing wife. My wife is just incredible. She's Amen. actually spurred on all of the reading and all the professional development over the last 13 years for me. All the credit goes to her. She just basically challenged me one night when I was staying up, I was trying to turn around two clinics and, uh, you know, my brain is going crazy and stuff like this. And, and she says, why don't you start reading? And I said, oh, I don't read. And she said, well, why don't you try audiobooks?" And that was, I couldn't argue with that. And so all that development has come from that. But I think that to your point about mindset is surrounding yourself with, you know, a great spouse, great professionals, great friends, you know, people that inspire you to more because a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you have great people around you, like you, Steve, I mean, I, I feel like you're a great influence on my life. So there's oh, okay. good you. people around that have helped yeah. continually move up and up and up. So, well, you mentioned your wife and a shout out to what's your wife's name? Lindsay. Lindsay. God bless you. Keep it going. <laughs> you, when you say that, my first word that comes to mind, and you said the word support. When they say you're as good as the five closest people around you, which is your support. That's right. How important is support for anybody, including a CEO? Yeah, I think that there is some sort of um, you know internal set point that you have to yeah. have, but it really also comes down to having support because nobody's really an island. We may think that we do it all yeah. on our own and stuff like that, but we're just kind of lying to ourselves. Nobody got to even be an adult on their own. You didn't just grow up from toddler all the way up to adult <laughs> and somebody didn't chip in and help in some way. Right. So yeah, there may have been some negative influences and stuff. And that goes with the professional world too. You might've had a bad boss. You may have had some bad coworkers. You may have had someone that stole 
intellectual property from you. But if you constantly surround yourself with really high quality people, you're just going to keep moving up. And that's a, yeah. a conscious effort too. Decision-making. Yeah. Well said. Big, big for business too, for CEOs, for the employee eight to five. I see as indecisiveness is a big problem right now. I think because of COVID and things, people are afraid to make these steps, go past their limits. Like the book said, how would you handle somebody that tells you, Hey, Nick, I'm having a problem making decisions. <laughs> well, uh, several ways. I'm gonna I'm gonna give some credit to Craig Rochelle. He's the head pastor of Life Church, and also he has probably the finest leadership podcast I've ever listened to. Short twenty minute episodes. I hope you can have him on um, someday. Yeah. I think he'd be a great guest. But he basically says that you know the worst decision is indecision, and what he will do is if there's two decisions that you know are kind of competing for someone's uh, mental bandwidth. They'll say, here's the deal. You know the two decisions. I'm going to flip a coin by the time it hits the ground. Which one are you going to pick? And he goes, invariably, they're going to pick it before it hits the ground because of the fact people can't help but not pick it. And he says, the, it's worse to not decide on something than it is to speed something up after you've had a chance to research it and make a decision. And I think that you know, for me, what I would do is if I was sitting down with some executives and they're having trouble making decisions, I would just start a clock and then you know say, all right, we're going to make a decision and, you know, we're going to do this as quickly as possible, but the clock's running and it's costing you every time that a second runs over on the clock because of the fact that time is money. And in your business, because you're an executive, it's a lot of money. So why don't we make this decision sooner rather than later and consider the facts in a reasonable way, but come to a conclusion in a productive way. Man, I, I've asked that question to a lot of people, Nick, that's one of the best answers I've ever heard. Because what you said too, was you can make that decision and pull back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like to buy this piece of equipment or this piece, this is, you know, 10,000 more than this. Okay. I'm going to buy the more with 10,000. You use it for a year, you sell it and you go a different way. You could always pull back from that decision, but you're saying never making that decision is probably worse than making, I won't say the wrong decision, but the decision maybe didn't work out in the long run. Correct. Yeah. To your point, Steve, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there and professionals at some level, but we'll use entrepreneurs for this example where they have an amazing idea, they have an amazing product, a concept or whatever, and they just do nothing because they're like, oh, it's gotta be perfect. Perfection is the enemy of excellence. And people will sit around trying to perfect something when it's good enough and they should get it out to market and see if the market loves it first. Man, that's I, I, perfection is definitely the problem with this. And that's so well said, oh my gosh. I've never had many people meet me speechless. I'm speechless right now. <laughs> Thanks. So with that being said, we're way out of time, I again, Audience, I could have him on for two hours and you're going to get nugget after nugget after nugget, but he's coming back. I think we have to have a part two with Nick. Okay. I want to thank you so much for being on here. You're eloquent. You're, you're so neutral and helping people. You know what serving is. You do it because there's people that talk it, but you got to do the action. Leadership's all about action. I can say, hey, da, 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 and then you don't do it and leadership goes away. But I want to thank you again. This has been such a pleasure. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks for having me on today. Can you do one more thing for me? Sure. Actually, two more things. I'm going to put a challenge out there. Anybody that reaches out to Nick, actually not anybody, the first two people, this is a challenge, and you mention this podcast or my name or both, I will send you a gift from me. Just make sure you tell Nick. I'll reach out to you through Nick because I need you guys. I, I mean it. I need you guys to talk to him. I've learned so much in the... Three or four months I've known Nick. So I'm putting a challenge. And now you can win a gift. 
We all like prizes. But with that being said, I want one more thing from you, one more piece of advice that my audience can use to help them on their journey. Yeah, I'm going to share this, Steve, because uh, several people have said that they really like it. So um, an interesting thing about businesses is that people will focus on creating more revenue, more revenue, more revenue. And a lot of times they don't want to spend the time trying to make their businesses more efficient and run leaner yeah. and stuff like that. I had a guy say to me early on in my career, he goes, well, you can't save yourself into profitability. And at that point, I was really young and didn't really have a response to that. So I just kind of clammed up because I was really focused on saving this company a lot of money, which was actually the result was much money was saved and it became profitable. But the other side of the coin is this. You certainly cannot save yourself into profitability, but you can certainly spend yourself into bankruptcy. And I think really astute people in business understand that it's essentially like doubling your money with the same coin is you can improve your expenses and also raise your profits. And then you create these amazing stories that the media just goes gaga over and you have what's called a media darling because somebody understood both sides of the coin.